Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, the first chapter. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your joy. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you do fulfill your promises, that you are a firm foundation on which we can uh, found our lives. Uh, and thank you, Lord, that, that you, do, or you are not shaken, you are not moved, uh, that, Lord, when we need you the most, you are there. And now, Lord, as we dive into the Word of God this morning, we ask that you would open up our understanding, help us comprehend and apply what your Word is saying into our lives, and may you be honored by the life that we live. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Uh, the second epistle of Peter, the first chapter, we'll begin reading at the first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides beside this, give, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week I'm going to continue our series on Time to Grow. Talking about spiritual growth, and we want this year, 2023, to be a year that we decide, I'm going to grow, I'm going to, I'm going to grow up spiritually, I'm going, to, I'm going to move towards spiritual maturity, I'm, I'm going to become, continue to become the person that God has called us to become, right? And so our challenge this year, uh, as we grow in that, is, is to recognize how good God is, and, and how God has called us to this journey of growth. Now, just... As a review we've been talking about, we, we mentioned the fact that the source of spiritual growth is knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of His Word, knowledge of His purposes, His will, His heart for us. And the primary sign of spiritual maturity is a walk of love. Our, uh, the deepness of our Christian life, the deepness of our faith is only as real and is only as deep as our love is. Uh, we talked one week about what spiritual maturity is not. Spiritual maturity is not religious knowledge. Now, I know, again, as I said, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself. If knowledge is the source of growing, then how can knowledge also be a sign that it's not maturity? Uh, but there's a difference between knowing God and pursuing to know Him and who He is and religious knowledge for the sake of having knowledge, right? The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Spiritual maturity is not moralism or legalism. It's not keeping a bunch of rules or checking off a list. I've done all of these things, therefore I am spiritually mature. For a matter of fact, that can be a sign of spiritual immaturity. And spiritual maturity is not a destination. In other words, we're not all going to arrive. Has anybody arrived here? Has anybody, anybody arrived? Nope, not yet. The ones in heaven are like, I'm, I'm here, right? 
But us here on earth, none of you have arrived yet. If you think you're spiritually mature, then you're probably not. Right? Okay? It's not a destination. So last week we we talked about what it does look like. Spiritual maturity, we know, is the process of developing Christ-like character. Above everything else, if we grow spiritually, then we are going to become more and more like Christ. And we notice that spiritual maturity is always led by the Spirit, Spirit Spirit-led people. Uh, Spiritual maturity is always filled with grace. It's based on truth, based on the truth of God's Word. It is based on service. It is manifested by a service-oriented life, and it's marked by perseverance. They that are spiritually mature and are growing in their faith are going to be people who are hard to make give up, right? When you've got to that place where you're like, I've got no place else to go. I am at the point of no return. I've got no place to go except forward. That's when we learn that we're growing in spiritual maturity, right? I mean, when Jesus said, when you plant the seed on the ground, some of that seed comes up, it gets choked by the cares of this life, it gets burnt up by, uh, it gets burnt up by persecution and tribulation, but they that persevere are the ones who are growing spiritually. And as we've mentioned in spiritual growth, we know that all living things grow, uh, that physical maturity leads from complete dependence to independence. So when we're talking about natural maturity, we go from being a baby who lives completely dependent upon his parents to an adult who should be able to live independent from their parents. I understand that in the day and age that we live in, that's not always the process it goes through, but that's how it's supposed to work. We're not supposed to revert back to adolescence when we are 40 years old. But I I get it, I understand, but that is how it's supposed to work. You go from complete dependence to independence. But in the spiritual realm, as I said at the beginning, it's the complete opposite. We go from an independent, rebellious heart that was lost in sin and, and separated from God. We go from that to complete and total dependence upon God for everything. A sign of spiritual maturity is when we recognize how much we need God. You never outgrow Jesus. You never outgrow the need for God. You never get to a place spiritually where you don't need Jesus. Now, all of us know if you got kids, you got grandkids, we want our children to grow big and strong. And kids like to see how much they are growing, right? How many of you have like a door frame or a post or a pole or something that you marked off to show how high or how tall your kids have grown? Anybody ever have something like that? Terry's got something real fancy. Also, mine's just a stick I found outside. It's got a couple marks on it, stickers. And uh, what's funny is, you know, as you look at that, it's cool to watch how they've grown. You know, I've got two kids that are completely opposite in the physical realm of how tall they are, right? So you get that little post out, and here's Logan, and there's Avery. (laughs) Like, Avery, you're on the stick somewhere, buddy. You're you're down there. Um, The kids like to see how much they've grown. You know, here's the marks that show how far they've, they've come and... And uh, Logan's in a ten and a half now. Where's a ten and a half? Ten and a half. His feet are bigger than mine. Um, Avery got to a three. That's right. Size three, buddy. Um, so we know that, obviously, in the physical realm, some grow faster than others. And then you have those kids that are short for a long period of time, and then they reach a growth spurt all of a sudden. You know, they go from being real short to, to, to tall, and, and uh, hopefully that happens for Avery, but, you know... Um, We'll see what happens. Um, And so we recognize that that, that growth is something that we can easily see. 
Uh, we can easily watch. There's, there's physical growth that's taking place uh, before us. And, and even as adults, even though you, know, you may reach a certain height uh, that you're going to stay at for the rest of your life, you know, everything still changes when you're maturing, right? You don't look the same way you did when you were 20, okay? Um, some of you are better looking now, some of you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we recognize that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we fight it, no matter how much paint we put on the barn, it's still going to age and mature, right? We also know that there are things that can stunt growth. Um, just like a plant needs the right soil, it needs sunlight, it needs water in order for it to go through photosynthesis so that it can feed itself. The, the, the physical body, the human beings, we, we need certain components, we need certain elements, we need certain things in order to grow, in order to um, grow properly, right? If there are certain components missing, it could delay, it could stunt our growth. Things like adequate nutrition, whether it's when the baby's in the womb or when the baby comes out of the womb. Uh, adequate nu- nutrition, even sanitation issues can, can stunt growth. Heredit- hereditary things can, can stunt growth. We, we recognize that there are certain things that if a child, if a human being doesn't get it's not going to grow. For a matter of fact, it, we also need movement and exercise for muscles to develop and bones to develop. And if we don't use them, then those muscles can atrophy. And uh, I saw an article the other day about a guy who dedicated his life to Shiva, which is uh, the Hindu god, and he decided that he was going to raise his hand in solidarity towards God and never brought it down. His arm has been locked in this position for 45 years. 45 years. Now, obviously, the muscles have atrophied. Um, the nerve endings have all basically died. Um, so he can't even feel anything in, his, in this arm. Uh, I, I, don't, I hope that Shiva has answered some prayer of some sort. I, I don't know. Because I, I can't make it, you know. I Maybe sometimes during worship, you're like, all right, okay. Can't keep my hands up any longer. Um, but we know if we don't use stuff, it, it doesn't grow, right? If we don't use things, it can't be healthy. It can't grow, right? In the spiritual realm, we also notice that there are things that will stunt our spiritual growth. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves stuck in a spiritual rut. We can get to a place where we're not progressing on our spiritual maturity. And obviously, Peter points out that there should be a decision to grow. He says that we are to add to our faith. Add to our faith. Now, this is not about adding something to make us more saved or more right with God. Um, you, you can't get more saved. I'm not saveder than you. Right? I am not righter with God than you are. Okay? Okay. Um, Peter told us that we already have been given all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. When we surrendered our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit entered our heart and we became the temple of God by the Holy Spirit, all things that were needed for life and godliness were supplied at that very moment. That because of the precious promises of God, we have, we have already become partakers 
of the divine nature. We are already partakers of the divine nature. That's not something we wait for in heaven. Right? Because the Spirit lives in us, we have tasted of heaven already. So saved is saved. Born again is born again. If you've been born again, you're born again. Right? So this is Peter not saying, hey, listen, you need to add something so you can get more saved. You need to add something so that you can get more right with God. That's not what he's saying. Peter is talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about spiritual development. He's talking about moving on from the basic foundations like Hebrews talks about in chapter 6. Let us move on from the elementary teachings of Christ, not laying again the same foundation, right? It's time for us to continue to grow. The writer of Hebrews told them, listen, I should be talking to you as people who can eat meat, but I still have to give you milk. You should be people who are teaching others, and instead I still have to teach you the same thing. You should be already adding to your faith. You should be already growing past this one place. I love the song, Just As I Am. How many of you like that song? Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. But how many of you know there's a time that we have to get past just as I am? We can't keep coming just as I am, singing the same song and never developing or growing or becoming something other than what came to the altar during just as I am. He's talking about spiritual growth, that we have to be careful not to stay in the same place. He reminds us that if we add certain things to our faith, and we did a sermon series on this. Remember that, Kevin? Kevin did brotherly kindness. Wasn't it? Wasn't it brotherly kindness? Yeah. I remember one of the best lines was, whether you like it or not, you're called to be kind. Right? Whether you like it or not, you've been called to be kind. Right? But he tells us to add to our faith virtue. Virtue, we add knowledge. To knowledge, we add temperance or self-control. We add patience. We add godliness. We add brotherly kindness. We add charity or love that is in action, right? We add these things to our faith. And in so doing, Peter says, we will not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are pursuing these things, adding these things to our faith, then we we won't live a fruitless life. We won't be barren in our knowledge of God. And then he also warns that if we lack these things, we are blind and cannot see afar off, even forgetting that we were purged from our sins, even forgetting where we've come from and what he's brought us to, if we don't have these things. So it's not that Peter says, forget where you started. He just said that once you get started, you should keep building and you should keep growing and you should keep developing because if you lack these things, you'll end up blind. The command to add is very interesting. And I believe it's something that we should study earnestly. It's something that we should apply to our lives. Go look up these words. What do they mean? How can I apply them to my life? What does it mean to apply virtue or godliness or patience or brotherly kindness to my life? What does that mean? What does that look like? We should look that up. We should honor God and his word by doing so. But what I want to point out today is Peter's warning that we can lack these things. That we can lack adding things to our faith. That we can spiritually stunt our growth. Because we lack certain things in our lives. Are there things that we are doing that is keeping us from adding these things to our life? 
Are we doing things that are keeping us from growing? What are some of the things that can stunt our spiritual growth? I'll be honest with you. I've I've tried to get Avery to eat some stuff that might help him grow, right? We try. We put it in front of him. He chews on it. He gnaws on it sometimes. I tried to just get chicken strips from Arby's the other day. No. They're out. It's either McDonald's or Wendy's. That's it. That's all we got. And I don't like McDonald's nuggets. I don't know. How many of you like McDonald's chicken McNuggets? I don't like them. Not a fan of them. We try to get things in our kids' bodies to get them to grow. If they're missing stuff, if we're missing stuff spiritually, it stunts our growth. And so what are some things? I want to point out some things here this morning. This may not be all of them, but I want to point out some things that can stunt our spiritual growth. The first two are probably the most obvious. Number one, lack of devotions. Now, obviously, uh, we know this, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one, but we cannot expect to grow if we don't have a prayer life and we don't have a time in the Word of God. If we're not spending time seeking God, pursuing God in prayer, if we're not spending time reading the Word and spending time in the Word, meditating on the Word, learning the Word, memorizing the Word, living the Word, adding the Word to our life, applying the Word of God to our lives, then we're never going to grow spiritually. And I need to know, I want everybody to know here this morning that prayer and reading the Word is a discipline. You have to make the decision to pray and the decision to read the Word. A lot of us are waiting as though there's going to be some supernatural feeling every time we're called to pray. That God is all of a sudden going to show up in our room and say, read thy Bible. Right? That's not always going to happen. And there are going to be times that you get in prayer and you're going to feel like you got swept up into the third heaven. And then there's times you're going to be praying and it feels like you're using a jackhammer trying to beat through concrete. You ought to try preaching sometimes. Sometimes you got some people out there smiling and saying amen. Sometimes they're sitting out there like a bunch of rocks. Right? Prayer and reading the Bible takes discipline to act like that there's always going to be some supernatural feeling that calls us to pray and calls us to read our Bible is missing out on why we need to do it. Okay? So if you find yourself in a spiritual rut, or you find yourself in a place where you're not growing spiritually and you don't have a devotional life, start there. Start there. If you find yourself in a place where you're not getting where you want to go spiritually, but you don't have a consistent devotional life with God, then start right there. I can slather you with enough oil that you look like a bucket of KFC chicken, and you're never going to get where you want to go spiritually if you're not praying and you're not reading your Bible, right? I'm not trying to be religious. Again, that's always the line that you're crossing there. It's not about praying to get God's attention. It's not about reading the Bible to check something off a list. But how are we going to know him if we don't pursue him? How are we going to know what to do? How are we going to know to obey God if we don't know what his word says? It's the foundation of our lives. So if we lack spiritual devotions, we're going to stunt our spiritual growth. Number two, sin. Obviously, this is another obvious one in our lives. But it's not just sin, but it's how we view sin, how we respond or react to sin when we sin. Okay. So let's establish the fact this morning that we sin. There's nobody perfect in there. There's nobody that's made it. 
There's nobody that's overcome every fleshly desire. There's not everyone who always says no to sin. So we have to recognize that we do sin and that sin is not something to be trifled with. Honestly, this is one of the signs of spiritual maturity is that we recognize that sin is dangerous, that sin is never to be played with. The problem is is that the world and the culture that we live in downplays sin. It downplays the seriousness of sin and the offense that it brings to a holy God. It, It takes sin and we justify it because everybody else is doing it. And we justify sin by saying, well, that is outdated and that is not how culture lives. And I get it. I recognize that. And so as culture, as society, and even as the church redefines what sin is, if we are going to grow spiritually mature in our lives, we have to recognize the danger of sin. We have to recognize that the wages of sin is still death. And James says, if you are guilty of breaking one law, you are guilty of breaking them all. All of them. Sin is rooted in selfishness and pride, right? So remember, being self-absorbed always leads to stunted spiritual growth. And humility is the soil from which all Christ-like character grows. We cannot get where God wants to go unless we humble ourselves and recognize his need. We have to view sin the way God does. We have to realize sin is our mortal enemy. And many times, here's the problem. We believe that judgment delayed means that judgment is not coming. But remember, the wise learn quickly that we reap what we sow. Ecclesiastes says, remember now thy creator in the days of what? Your youth. Why? Because that's when you're sowing your seeds. Remember your creator in the days of your youth because when you get older, you will reap what you sowed. Our growth is also stunted when we deal with sin by trying to be more religious. Sin demands repentance which means we must rely on grace. You don't deal with sin by trying to clean your own life up. You don't deal with sin by trying to even out the scales. Let me do more good deeds to cover up my bad deeds. That's not how it works. We deal with sin through repentance, which means it must be dealt with through grace. Spiritual maturity is always grace-based, not performance-based. Condemnation and guilt is not only something that keeps us from growing, it's actually a sign that we don't understand grace. Condemnation and guilt keeps us from growing, but it also is a sign that we don't even understand how to grow. We don't understand grace. So if there's anything that you hear me say about sin here today, it's serious business. It's serious business. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't bring our heart before God, if we don't see sin the way God sees it, instead of looking at it through the light of the world or through the light of our culture or through the light of our own justifications, if we don't see sin for what it is, then it will stunt our spiritual growth at best. Number three, worldliness. 
When we allow our lives to be affected more by the world, by the cultural trends and what is the new politically correct way of thinking, we are placing ourselves in a place where we cannot grow spiritually. The Bible tells us that if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. Paul warns us that we be not as children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that we be careful that men not spoil us through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The more connected we are to this world and its way of thinking, the less we are connected to the kingdom and kingdom thinking. We are antithetical to the, to the way the world thinks. To be kingdom thinking means that we are going to run into conflict with the way the world thinks. That's why the Bible, t- that's why the, we have to recognize that as we follow after the word, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they can't hear what I'm saying, they're not going to listen to what you say. And I do fear sometimes that as the church, when we try so hard to be hip and cool and relevant and yo-yo, you're all accepted and God loves everybody and you can do whatever you want and welcome and we're glad you're here, high five. When we start preaching a gospel like that, we're not helping anyone. We're not helping anyone. Listen, the church is supposed to be a place where you come and it's different than if you went and sat in the local bar. Shouldn't it be different? Church is a place where you should come and be challenged, convicted, maybe even uncomfortable. Right? You're not at a stand-up comedy show. Right? Right? I mean, sometimes. You're not at a concert where everyone's, where we're here to try to entertain. This isn't about entertainment. This is about a holy God and us connecting to him because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that demands that we be changed by that grace. And demand, and, and, and sometimes leads to the fact that people don't like us, right? Because we're not like them. And that's why the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So yes, worldliness drains us of our spiritual growth. When we stay connected to the world, the way the world acts, the way the world thinks, the way, where the world goes, how the world dresses, how, what the world, how the world sees things, when we, when we live that way, when we shape our lives around how can I be more like my own culture, then we're not going to grow spiritually. Everybody Okay. Number four, lack of fellowship. We cannot and will not grow spiritually if we do not fellowship with other believers. You should go to church, period. That's the point. You should go to church, period. Right? I, I get it. I understand you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Right? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I get it. There are people who are sitting in churches all over America today that aren't born again, that may be completely unsure of even where they stand with God, but they're sitting in church. But the fact of the matter is, we cannot grow spiritually unless we are connected to one another in a way in which we learn from one another, 
we get encouraged by one another, we pray for one another, we serve one another, we love each other, we're there for each other, we cheer each other on, right? Amen? We weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we, we, we desire to be connected. It's your spiritual maturity is deeply connected to how you are connected to others in the body of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that believe that they can grow uh, like by themselves, right? I, I'm a lone ranger. I'm out here doing my own thing. I'm out here doing my own stuff and that I can grow. But you're never going to find root. You're never going to be able to use your spiritual gifts unless you are interconnected with people around you. The whole point that God gives you spiritual gifts is not so you can sit at home and watch it on TV, right? God gives you a word of knowledge. Who are you giving it to? The cat? There we sit at home watching on TV. I watch 27 preachers. I go to church 42 times a week, right? But you've never, you're never connected to somebody. And, I, and I, I believe that, that the enemy used COVID to destroy this type of connection, this type of face-to-face reality, this, this type of thing that causes people to grow. Listen. Folks, even businesses understand this. That's why they have all these little get-togethers. Let's have a team building meeting, right? Let's have a meeting to decide when we're going to meet to build the team that we meet with. (laughs) Right? And I get it. I'm I'm completely, I'm, I'm cool with team building things. You need teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Right? I get it. But the, the, you can't do that on your own. You have to connect. And you don't just go to church. You surround your life with people who are going to encourage you in your faith. They're going to help you grow. Fellowship also allows you to learn how to serve. Listen, folks, relationships matter. And it may very well be the most important element in your spiritual growth or lack thereof. I, there's no other way around it. I, I've said it a thousand times. You will become who you hang out with. I don't care how strong you think you are. I don't care how much your willpower is. I will never act like them. And if you hang out with them long enough, you will be them. Show me your friends and I'll show you where you're going. Show me your friends and I will show you where you're going. Relationships matter. Number five, unforgiveness. The Christian faith is about forgiveness. It's about sinners who don't deserve it being made children of God by the blood of Jesus. It's about a God of holiness extending grace to people who don't deserve it and washing us clean from sin. Forgiveness is the heartbeat of redemption. And so God calls us as followers to go do the same. Seventy times seven. How many times should I forgive them, Jesus? Seven times? No. Seventy times seven. Four hundred and ninety times. Some of y'all are on like four hundred and (laughs) eighty-nine. You get one more chance. (laughs) Jesus wasn't giving a number. The point that he was making is it's unlimited. He's saying, Peter, you think that you are showing spiritual maturity by saying seven. Peter didn't say one. How many times should I forgive him? Once? Three times? I wonder if they had like a conversation on the side. What number should we use? Five? How about seven? Seven sounds good. Seven times! And probably adjusted his robe. Looked at the other disciples. 
Jesus said, I, I didn't say seven. I, how about 70 times seven? Paul also commands the Ephesians to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How should we forgive each other? The way God has forgiven us. Folks, unforgiveness is a prison. It's a place of spiritual torment. Because the thing about unforgiveness is, is normally the person you can't forgive is just skipping along singing a song. They don't even know. They don't care that you haven't forgiven them. They're just skipping along. You're the one that's over there boiling. You're the one that's all mad and upset and and all torn up and losing sleep over it. You're the one being tormented. When we are able to let go of grudges, we are able to start moving forward in our spiritual walk. If we keep holding on to past things that hurt us, we will never move forward in the grace of God. Now, I get it. I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. That's not the whole point, right? Maturity is not always easy. Growing up is not always easy. Sometimes you have growth pains. And learning to forgive someone else when they have hurt you, because lots of times we feel like if we forgive them, they got away with it. If we forgive them, then we didn't get our vengeance. But how many of you know that God will take care of you? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so you, you have to recognize that people who think they're getting away with stuff ain't getting away with it. Now that's not our heart, right? God, get them. Right? Our heart is to recognize that sometimes I've got to let go because sometimes people are just going to be people. Unforgiveness. Number six, worry. Worry is a pretty natural reaction to things. If we're all honest, we've all worried. We've all been worried. We worry about people. We worry about things. We worry about our finances. We worry about our children. We worry about our jobs. We worry about the economy. We worry about the climate. We worry about who's going to be elected president. We, we worry about so many things. The world is full of things to worry about. But worry can also be a sign that we have an issue trusting God. Faith is the core of what we do as followers of Jesus. It's how we please God. It's how we receive from God. It's what accesses the power of God in our lives. It's the walk of faith that accesses God's power and His anointing. It's the hand that reaches and receives from God. It's that which leads us to obedience and in, in that sense brings pleasure to God. We know that, that Jesus said that worry chokes the Word of God and keeps it from bearing fruit in our Lives, And so we have to recognize that, yes, even though worry can be a natural reaction and we're not always going to be able to fight it off, we have to understand that when we learn to deeply trust God, it solves many of our worry issues. And all of us know that worry, as Jesus said, does not add one cubit to our lives. It does not add one thing to our life. Worry is like running on a treadmill. A lot of movement and you have gone nowhere. You're still sweating, but you ain't gone anywhere. You've worn yourself out and you've not accomplished anything. So worry only destroys what God is trying to get done in our lives. So we have to recognize that we've got to get deeper in who God is. Now obviously worry means that we've got to control our thoughts. We have to be people who win the war for our minds. We have to recognize that the battle is fought in our minds. That if the enemy can take our thoughts, 
then he will take our hearts. If he takes our thoughts, then he will take our actions. If he takes our thoughts, then he will take our words. If he takes our thoughts, then he takes our attitudes. If he can win the war for your mind, then he will keep you in worry. He will keep you in worry. He will keep you up at night. He will keep you walking the floor because your mind is going a 1,000 miles an hour. We have to bring our thoughts into captivity to obedience to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us this. So when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we don't have to worry. Why? Because God adds all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It comes with the package plan. When you seek God's kingdom first, when you make kingdom your priority, then worries start becoming peripheral things. Change your focus and you'll change your worry. But as long as we live in worry, it keeps us from growing spiritually. Number seven. I've got nine. Number seven. Emotionalism. There's nothing wrong with emotions. There's nothing wrong with being emotional about God. For a matter of fact, to bless the Lord, oh, my soul, requires your emotions. You can't bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and look like a zombie. Right? There can't be something involved. Bless the Lord... Oh, my soul. I don't feel like when David wrote that, he was like, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Right? Right? Maybe he wrote, bless the Lord. And all of a sudden, something came over him. He's like, oh, my soul. Let everything that is within me bless his holy name. Everything that's in me, let it bless his holy name. Right? So that involves emotions. And let's be honest. We judge church services by emotionalism. Right? That was a good church service. Why? Because I cried. I cried. Right? Well, what was the sermon about? I have no idea, but I cried. <laughs> what songs are they singing? I don't know, but one of them made me cry. I cried. It was a good service. I cried. We, we will even judge our spiritual walk by how emotional we are. Right? Well, I don't feel like that person does. You know, I don't jump like that. I'm not, I'm not screaming and shouting. It must be I'm in a bad place spiritually. I need to start jumping and shouting. Right, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Right? But we, we have to realize that when we base our spiritual lives on how we feel and not on faith, then we've got a very shallow spiritual life. Emotionalism keeps you in your feelings, which it makes it easier for you to go up and down in your spiritual life. It produces instability. It makes your life unstable. It gives you no root when you live emotionally. It makes it easy for you to give up when times are tough. Because I don't feel it. I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel joyful today. I don't feel peace. And so when times get tough, we throw up our hands and quit. Because I don't feel it. When you're in your emotions, it makes it easy for you to be offended. And that is the definition of the United States of America. <laughs> so we are all up in our feelings. We're all up in our emotions. That what matters is how I feel. Not reality. Not truth. What matters is how I feel. And you have to affirm how I feel. In the same way in our spiritual life. We expect God to affirm how we feel. 
I want to feel God. I need to feel God. And when we get in that place, we are going to produce instability in our lives. As much as I love worship, and I have no problems with having services where all we do is worship, but if all we ever do is worship and never hear the word, then we will produce unstable and shallow Christianity. And for that matter, worship's not a feeling either. Worship is a decision. Praise is a decision. God is worthy of your praise whether you feel like it or not. We walk by faith. That's the core of who we are. Emotionalism, therefore, is not just a way of stunting our growth. It's actually a sign of spiritual immaturity all by itself. When we base our Christian life on emotionalism, then we are going to stunt how we grow spiritually. We are faith people. We walk by faith. Number eight, comparison. Comparison. The Bible tells us it's not wise to compare ourselves with other people in our walk of faith with God. The enemy wants us to try to compare ourselves with others so that we can either make ourselves feel better about ourselves while looking down on others or make ourselves feel bad about ourselves because we're not at their level. Having this mentality many times is mixed with feelings of envy or jealousy, which produces strife. You know what the Bible says? Where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. Where there's envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. I'm grateful that this church, we've been here now for 35 years. We've had... Very little drama. Very little. There's not been division. There's not been a, a fight, split. There's not been a mutiny. Right? This has been a pretty stable church. And I credit that to the, the preaching and the founding of, of our founding pastor. And the men and women of God who prayed over this place and followed obediently after God. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've had our characters. We've had our characters, but most of them blow in and blow out. You know, we've had people show up. They've been here one week, and they think they should be the associate pastor. You've attended church for one week, and you should be the associate pastor. I don't think so. And then they're gone next week. Where there's envy, where there's jealousy, there's going to be strife and confusion and every evil work. So when we compare ourselves... Among ourselves, it keeps us from encouraging others. It keeps us from cheering other people on because we're jealous of what they have. We're jealous that we don't have what they have. We look at God and like, what are you blessing him for? Probably because you have that attitude. Comparison mentality leads to disunity, which is always a sign of spiritual immaturity. As Paul told the Corinthians, some of you all say, I'm from Paul. Some of you say, you're from Apollos. Some of you say, you're from Barnabas. When you fight and, and judge and, and, and against each other, when you produce divisions, you're immature. That's spiritual immaturity. Our spiritual growth does not have to be compared to anyone. We're all on the same journey, folks. We're all going the same place. I'm not you, and you're not me, and you're not supposed to be. You grow as God matures you. You grow as you seek the Lord, as you progress in your faith. What God deals with in your life, He may not deal with in mine. What he deals in mine, he may not deal with in your life, right? 
We're all in the same process of sanctification that's taking us someplace. I don't have to compare myself to you. I don't have to be at your level, whatever your level is. You don't have to be at my level, whatever level that is. You don't even know what level I'm at. Just because I stand up here and preach and scream around doesn't mean I'm at a level higher than you. We don't know because we're not supposed to compare one another to, to one another. And when we do that, we stunt our spiritual growth. And finally, number nine, not submitting to the Spirit. Remember, spiritual maturity is always Spirit-led. You cannot do this on, our, on your own. We cannot do this in our flesh or through mere willpower or human intellect The more we learn to be led by the Spirit, the more Christ-like we become. This is the very definition of the Christian walk, is a walk in the Spirit. It's a walk that learns to put to death the deeds of the flesh and submit ourselves to the way and the will of the Holy Spirit. It's learning to hear the Spirit's voice, know the Spirit's will, and flow in the way the Spirit wants us to flow. Listen, we have to recognize that when the anointing is upon our life, that's what destroys the yoke of bondage. That's what produces in us the gifts of the Spirit that helps encourage and bring people to life. When we walk in the Spirit is when we bear love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all the fruits. We become more like Christ as we learn to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. So if we're consistently giving into our flesh, if we're consistently feeding our flesh, if we're consistently giving our flesh what it wants, then we're not going to be spirit-led people. Reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God through the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. When we learn... And I am going to be a spirit-led person, a person who hears the voice of the Spirit, a person who's used by the Spirit, a person who magnifies God through the Spirit, who glorifies and lifts up Jesus because of the Spirit, then we are moving forward in our growth. If we're not connected to the Holy Ghost, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that is what we should be pursuing, is a Spirit-filled life. So, folks, we don't want to put obstacles in our way that keeps us from maturing in our walk with God. We want to be adding to our faith so it can grow, not stunting our growth. And this is the challenge that we have, is that we recognize what gets in our way and keeps us from becoming the people that God has called us to become. Grow up in your faith. Produce fruit for God's glory. That's our call. Let us recognize the things that can stun our spiritual growth. Let's move forward in our faith. Let's add to and build upon what God has started in us. And we know that he will be faithful to complete what he started as we learn to submit to him. If Jesus is Lord, then our life must be marked by submission. Submission to his spirit. Submission to his word. Submission to his promises. And when we do that, we learn to grow In our spiritual walk. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, how grateful we are to be here. Thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thankful, Lord, that you are true to your word, that you'll fulfill your promises in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that that your your grace is never ending, your mercy is new every day. God, we want to grow in you. We want to become who you've called us to become. We want to become more Christ like in our walk. And so we ask in the name of Jesus. 
That, Lord, we would not put these words on the back burner, but that we would allow them to challenge us. That as Peter has commanded us to add to our faith, we would be people, O oh God, who are adding virtue and knowledge and godliness and, and charity to our faith. That we would be people who are pursuing you and not blinded by, by the things that stunt our growth. So, Lord, wake us up, we pray. Wake us up, Lord, to the seriousness of sin. Wake us up, O oh God, to the damage of worry. Lord, show us how we can cling ever deeply to you. Ever more deeply to you and to your promises. Call us to yourself today. May we become who you've called us to become. As it, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we focus our attention on the Lord here this morning, we'll close out this service with the time of worship. We're grateful for his presence, thankful for his grace. This is a time of altar. This is a time where we put our hearts before God. In the New Testament, we've lost sight of how powerful the altar really was. In the Old Testament, every Old Testament person understood what an altar meant. At the altar, sacrifices were made. At the altar, things died. At the altar, people met with God. And so this is our altar time today. If you're in this room and you've noticed some of these things in your life that are stunting your spiritual growth and you want to bring your heart before God, this is your opportunity. If you feel like this morning that you're in a spiritual rut and you need God to fill you with His Spirit, this is your place today.